You know, and I've told you before, I grew up, my junior high and high school years were spent in a small congregation in, in rural Kansas. Um, and there are so many benefits and blessings that I received growing up in that small congregation. I mean, when I say small, I mean, you know, if we had 50 or 60 people, we felt like it was a, it was a good Sunday. But sort of the negative of that was I was about the only teenager, only high schooler at the time that was a part of the congregation that was involved, that was a, a Christian, and, and I felt alone a lot. I felt like I was the only one that was following Jesus. The only one that believed like I believed and wanted to do what I wanted to do. And so I felt alone. And there were probably decisions that I made along the way that I know I shouldn't have made because I felt alone. That's a discouraging way to feel, isn't it? But then as a teenager, I would go to youth rallies and I'd be around hundreds of other teenagers and I would be reminded I'm not... I'm not alone. I'm not the only one that believes what I believe and wants to follow Jesus. And I would go to camp. And these camps would be so encouraging to me because I'd be reminded that I'm not alone. And I learned a lesson in those moments that there's strength in numbers. Amen? There's strength in numbers. It's encouraging from Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday to have an experience on Sunday where you are reminded I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. There are hundreds and hundreds. There are thousands and thousands of people in this world that want to follow Jesus. I am not alone. So when you march out on Monday morning to do the will of God in your school and in your workplace to love your neighbor as yourself and to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength, you're reminded you're not alone. And that that's what this is, right? This is our time to come together and be reminded. Every week we do this, but it's especially powerful when we can all be together in one room. Thousand of us, all together, reminding ourselves, you're not alone, and there's strength in these numbers. And that's one reason I'm so excited about this Brighter Together project. I'm excited about us having our very own auditorium where we can gather, and every single week, not a couple times a year, but 52 times a year. Do you realize how often we use our auditorium? I hear people say all the time, well, we only use it once. I, I think, do you understand that our current auditorium, we use it like 200 times a year, at least, if not more. We gather in there a lot. And I'm excited about having our very own big auditorium like this, where all of us can come together because there is strength in numbers so that you can go out on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and know you are not alone. We are in this together. And these types of praise and worship assemblies where all of us are together are so powerful. But let's face it, I mean, what we're proposing, this Brighter Together project, and we're not going to spend the whole time talking about a building, okay? But, but what we're, this project that we're proposing is a big project, isn't it? It's a big project. And when we start talking about, you can go to the next slide, I think. There you go. But it's exciting, isn't it? It's a, it's a big project. And when we start talking about the, the kind of numbers that we're talking about, it can be a little bit intimidating, can it? Because it's a big project. But there's two things that give me incredible confidence that we can do this. There are two things that give me incredible confidence. It's a big project, but number one, we're a big church, okay? We're a big church. And number two, we serve an even bigger God, right? 
And, and that's what I, I have complete confidence that we can do this because one, we're a big church, and two, we serve a big God. We're a big church. I've been thinking a lot about church buildings lately. And, and the way Christianity first started was usually when the gospel would spread to a, a new area, there, there was usually, there was usually one, at least one Christian or one family that had some money. Maybe somebody like Lydia. You remember Lydia in Philippi? Or somebody like Priscilla and Aquila. That was a family that in Rome and in Ephesus. And then there was somebody like Philemon. So there were families or individuals that had some money. And what they would do is they would bear the entire burden of housing the church community. The church assembly would assemble in their home and they had to bear the responsibility alone of having everybody in because a lot of the Christians in the first century were slaves and were poor and didn't have households. And so this one individual or this one household, this one family would bear the entire burden of having a place for the family to come and meet. But then over, over the years, it, it began so that there were other families that could share that responsibility. And then they were able to have, as they did from the very beginning, have all things in common and share the burden of building a house big enough for their family. That's what we all do individually, isn't it? We have a house that's big enough for our family, and as our family grows, we build a bigger house, and that's what the church has done, and what the church has been able to do for 2,000 years is as more people grow and as more people come into the church family to share the responsibility with each other, to build a big enough house for our whole family to come together and assemble. And that's why I have complete confidence that we can do that. We all do that individually for our families. And now that our family has grown over the last 20 years, we've grown to such a size that not only do we need to do this, but we can do this. We can share this burden and responsibility with each other so that we can come together and be together. And also, we know that our God is a big God. And God is doing great things in the world. And God is doing great things in this congregation. And I truly believe that the next 20 years are going to be as powerful, if not more, than the last 20 years. I hope you understand, though, that our goal is not this. Okay? This building, it's great. And I'm excited for it, and I hope that we are able to expand like this, but that's not our goal. That is a strategic means of achieving our goal. Expanding a building isn't about the building. It's about reaching as many people as possible. That's the goal. The goal is to make a bigger impact in your life and in your family's life and in your children's life and in the next generation of McDermott Road members' lives to make a bigger impact in Collin County, to make a bigger impact in the world. This isn't the goal. So I encourage you to to think about this and to pray about this, but don't just pray about the building. Pray about the building and pray about the money, and that's good, and pray about those things, but pray that we reach more people and invite people because we want to reach as many people as possible because... I think there's something special about this congregation, don't you? I I think there's something special here. And our community, I believe that our community would benefit from McDermott Road. I, I think there's a lot of teenagers in our high schools and our junior highs that would benefit from our 200 teenagers at McDermott Road. They're depressed and they're discouraged out there. 
They need friends. They need relationships. They need Jesus. And I think they would benefit from having relationships with our teenagers. There are, there are families that are falling apart on the, on the brink of divorce that would benefit from Dave Stevens and the counseling that he does. There are Christians that, that they're going to worship and they're going to church and those kind of things, but they're not really involved and they're not plugged in and they're not working and they're not doing, and they would benefit from somebody like Mark Bryson and his involvement ministry. Amen? There, there, are, there are parents that are at their wits end and they don't know what to do and, and they're, they're trying to figure out how to parent and how to lead and they would benefit from our road family ministry and all the people that are involved in that. There are people trying to figure out the Bible and trying to figure out what does it mean and where do I go? And they would benefit from the Bible studies that happen at McDermott Road. I believe that there is something special about McDermott Road. There are, there are hundreds of churches and there are thousands of great churches. There are tons and tons of great churches, but there's only one McDermott Road. And I think there's something special going on here. We are a big church. We're a church that loves people and loves the Lord. And I believe that God wants to use us to do great things. So with that in mind, look at John chapter 14. Here's our text for this morning. John chapter 14 and verse 12. Now, the context is Jesus. We've been in, in, the, in John. We're kind of skipping ahead a little bit here. Jesus has gone into Jerusalem. He's, he's had the last supper with his disciples. He's washed their feet. You remember? And now he's having this conversation with them about what is life going to be like when Jesus goes away, okay? When Jesus leaves, what's life going to be like? What, what is ministry going to be like? What's the movement that Jesus is starting going to be like? And look what he says in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to the Father. Now, there's a lot there that we could kind of break down. But he says, whoever believes in me, not just, not just you, you apostles, you 12 disciples. But he says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. And usually when we're talking about works, we're talking about sort of the, the miraculous things that Jesus does, right? I mean, Jesus did some mighty works, some spectacular works. But he says, listen... The, those who believe in me are going to do greater works than I do. Well, what, the, what does that mean exactly? I mean, sometimes when I first read that, I thought like more spectacular works, right? I mean, the, whoever believes in me will do more spectacular works than I do. But that really can't be, right? I mean, Jesus raised the dead. What's greater than that, right? I mean, what's more spectacular than raising somebody from the dead? Speaking in tongues? I don't, I don't think so, right? So it doesn't mean that you'll do more spectacular works than me. But he says that those who believe in him, not necessarily any one individual, but all of those who believe in him will do greater works than he did during his ministry. Now that's interesting, isn't it? That the collection of Jesus' followers and believers would go on to do greater works than Jesus did during his ministry on the earth? We I mean, just stop and think about it. It almost sounds wrong to say, doesn't it? That, to say that the believers in Jesus have done greater works than he did. In the last 2,000 years, believers in Jesus have done greater works than Jesus did during his 33 years of life on the earth. It almost sounds wrong to say it, but Jesus said that's exactly what's going to happen. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. 
And because I'm going to the Father, I'm going to send my spirit into you. And you're going to go out into the world in my name and with my power, and you're going to do greater works than I have done. What does that look like? Well, I mean, the book of Acts shows us what that looks like, doesn't it? And yeah, there was some miraculous stuff that they did, and they were speaking in tongues, and there was healing people, raising the dead. But the greatest of these, the greatest of these is that people's lives were transformed, weren't they? I mean, these apostles, in the name of Jesus, Jesus empowered them to go into the world. And what was said about them at the time was they turned the world upside down. The followers of Jesus turned the world upside down. People's lives were totally transformed. They did, by doing what Jesus did, by doing, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. You're going to go into the world, and you're going to do what I do, and the effect of this is going to be even greater. How so? You're going to reach tons of more people. Jesus' ministry was limited to one tiny little area, but his apostles and those that came after them went into the entire world and turned the world upside down. Sometimes I think we take for granted the power of a changed life, don't we? Jesus has changed people's lives. And by changing people's lives, he's changed communities. And by changing communities, he's changed empires. Do we realize what the world was like when Jesus came into the world? Do we realize what the Greco-Roman world was like? We, we look around at our society sometimes and we say it's pretty bad. And Yeah, I agree, it's pretty bad sometimes. But do you realize what the world that Jesus' apostles lived and worked in was like? Do, do you realize the impact that Christianity has made in the world? Do you realize that at the time in the first century, when a Roman family didn't want their baby, especially if their baby was a little girl, because little girls weren't valued as much as little boys, and if they didn't want their baby, then they would simply take them somewhere outside the city and leave them to die of exposure. Christianity, followers of Jesus, they changed that. How? They went to the places where children were exposed and they adopted them and took them in and rescued them. They simply did for the babies what Jesus had done for them. Jesus has rescued me. Jesus has taken me in. Jesus has clothed me. Jesus has fed me. So I'm going to do the works that Jesus has done. And they went and they found these babies and they took them in. The way that husbands valued and thought of their wives changed because of Christianity. The way that human beings looked at other human beings of other races and ethnic groups changed because of people who took seriously the teachings of Jesus. Slavery in the Roman world changed. Because of followers of Jesus. In fact, I read this week that one historian said that Christians were the first people to systematically oppose slavery. You know how they did it? You know how they changed slavery in the Roman world? They went to the marketplace, they bought a slave, and they gave him his freedom. Isn't that amazing? What were they doing? They were doing for that slave what Jesus had done for them. Jesus has set me free, so now I'm going to set you free. Jesus has paid the price for me. Jesus has redeemed me. Therefore, it's my obligation and my duty and my privilege to go into the world and do the same for others. 
People like Wilbur Wilberforce uh, took down the international slave trade in England. I read this week that in 1835, in the United States, that's 30 years before the Civil War ended, two-thirds of the members of the American Abolition Society in 1835 were Christian ministers. People going into the world and doing for others what Jesus had done for them. And Jesus says, my disciples, those who believe in me, they'll go and they'll do the same works that I have done and greater works will they do. They will turn the world upside down. The apostles, those 12 men, the message spread to thousands and thousands and thousands. The message went from Judea to Samaria to Galilee to across the Roman world and now across the ocean and lives have been changed and communities have been changed and empires have been changed. Greater things have been done. Why? Because Jesus went to the Father. Jesus ascended to the throne where he has all authority in heaven and on earth and empowered his followers to go into the world and do even greater things than he had done. Do we see it? Sometimes we're so close up on it we can't see it. The way it changes the world when believers in Jesus simply do for others what Jesus has done for them. Now look at verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Here's what he tells his apostles. As I'm sending you out, as I'm, as I'm going away, and I'm ascending to the Father's right hand, just because Jesus left doesn't mean he's not with them. That's kind of a paradox to understand here, isn't it? Just because I've gone away doesn't mean I'm not with you. Just because I'm not here in the flesh doesn't mean that I'm not going with you and empowering you. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Now, what does that mean? Ask in Jesus' name. Like, I always thought that that was just, I always kind of thought of it like a stamp, right? Like, you just put a stamp on a letter, make sure it gets where it's going. And I always thought, you know, you just say, Jesus' name, amen, right? Before you end a prayer, Jesus' name, amen. You just say, Jesus' name, amen. And that's sort of the magic words that get your prayer to heaven, right? I, that's how I always thought of it. I don't know if you thought about it that way or not, but I thought that's what it meant to pray in Jesus' name. But it's more than that. Let's stop and think about what is a person's name? It's their identity, isn't it? And it's their reputation. And if you say, you're giving me a bad name, right? It means you're ruining my reputation. So somebody's name is their identity and their reputation. So what does it mean to, to pray in the name of Jesus? It means to pray with confidence in his identity that he really is the son of God. He really is the son of man that sits at the right hand of God. He really is the Messiah. He really is the Christ. He really is the Savior. When we pray in the name of Jesus, it's something that's happening in, in here, in our heart and in our mind. That it's confidence in his identity, but it's also a concern for his reputation, isn't it? Pray in my name with confidence in who I am and with concern for my reputation in the world. I mean, 
It's a big thing. Do you know that? It's a big thing to say you are a follower of Jesus, to wear his name. I mean, think about it for a second. Pretend, go back to when you were a teenager, or maybe you are a teenager, and pretend you're doing something you ought not to be doing, and somebody asks you why you're doing that, what are you doing here, why are you back here, why are you touching that, why are you doing this, why are you eating that, and you say you're doing it on official business from your parents, right? You do it in your parents' name. I'm doing it because... My mom, my, my dad, because they told me I could. You'd ruin their reputation, wouldn't you? Doing something like that in their name. When you wear, when you wear a company's name across your chest on a, on a shirt or something like that, you're, you're wearing their name. And if you're doing something in their name, you ought to do it with concern for their reputation. And Jesus says, listen, you're my believers, And I'm going to do greater things in you than I ever did in the last three years. I'm going to do greater things in you than I did in the last three years. And whatever you ask in my name, with confidence in my identity and with concern for my reputation, I will do it. Why? So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So that the whole world knows there is one God in heaven... Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and that Jesus is his only begotten son, so that the world may know that God really did send Jesus. So all of the great things that the apostles and those that came after them, all the great things that they accomplished, it was for one end. Everything that Jesus accomplished during his three years of ministry, it was to one end. Why? That the Father might be glorified in the Son. And everything that Jesus' apostles and the believers that have followed him for the last 2,000 years, everything that's been accomplished by those believers who have asked in the name of Jesus for Jesus to do great works in them, everything that they've done and everything that they've accomplished, it's been to one end, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. So, So followers of Jesus have to be people that pray that way, right? That pray in the name of Jesus knowing that he really is the King of kings and Lord of lords, knowing that he really does want to do greater things in them than he ever did in his three years of ministry, and that all of this is that the Father may be glorified in the Son, that the world may know that God has sent him. And then again in verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus partnered with the twelve. And then as that group of 12 grew into thousands and thousands and thousands, Jesus partnered with all of them. Even though the father, the, the son went to be with the father, he didn't leave them or abandon them. Whatever you ask me, if you ask me anything in my name, with confidence in my identity, with concern for my reputation, I will do it. As Jesus says in Matthew, right, I'm, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you. So here's, here's two things. One, one thing that I know is this. Here's one thing I know. Jesus hasn't stopped partnering with his disciples. Amen? Even though the way he may work through us and with us might be different than it was in the first century, what the church needs now and what the world needs now has changed a little bit over 2,000 years, but Jesus hasn't stopped partnering with his disciples to do great things. 
Jesus hasn't stopped being concerned that the Father is glorified in the Son. Jesus hasn't stopped partnering with those who work and serve and pray in his name. Jesus hasn't stopped partnering with his disciples to do great things. So here's what I wonder, number two. Here's what I wonder. Have his disciples stopped asking him to do great things? Do we believe that Jesus hasn't stopped partnering with us to do great things? And if we believe that, do we pray that way? Do we pray, Jesus, do great things in us? To what end? That the Father might be glorified in the Son. That the world might know that you have been sent from the Father. That the world might know that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. That you are the Messiah. Have we stopped asking him to do great things. See, that's what I'm concerned about. I I mean, I want us to have a a larger auditorium and I want us to replace the, the modular building. I want that. But those are just means to an end. I want Jesus to do amazing, great things through his people in Collin County. I want Jesus to do great things through his people in Plano and McKinney and Frisco and Allen and all across this land. I want Jesus to continue doing great things. And I believe that if we ask him to do great things in us, he will do it. And I think we need to have the boldness to ask him to do great things in us. So here's the thing. Three weeks from now, April 14th, 414, April 14th, is Commitment Sunday, okay? So here's what I want you to do, okay? So if you got your, I don't ever, this is the first time, I've never done this before, so if you have your phone, some of you have been looking on the Bible, some of you have been Facebooking, I don't know what you're doing, but you get your phone, if you don't already have it, get your phone, and you can mark that, 414, April 14th, that's Commitment Sunday, that's the Sunday we're going to all come together at McDermott, two, three services, whatever, but we'll all come together at McDermott, and we'll, we'll make our commitment to this specific strategic plan going forward. But I want to encourage you to do a couple things. Pray, most of all. Pray. Pray about the money. Pray about your commitment. Pray about the building. Pray about all those things. But more than anything, pray that Jesus does great things in us. And here's, here's a couple things to remind you to pray. One is when you go out in the foyer in a minute, you can get a bracelet. Here's a little secret. Barrett gave you behind the scenes about him slipping off the chair. So I'll tell you, I wear a kid-sized bracelet, okay? So I got small wrists. I don't know what to tell you. But get a bracelet, and that can be a reminder to pray. And here's another thing that I've done the last week or so. I set an alarm on my on my phone for 4.14 every day. So 4.14 p.m. Not a.m., but 4.14 p.m. My alarm goes off to remind me to pray that Jesus does great things in us. So maybe do that. Set a reminder or an alarm on your phone. Join me in prayer. We've got a prayer marathon coming up this weekend. I hope you'll be there. Let's pray. Yes, pray about a building and pray about money and pray about your commitment because all of that is a strategic means of achieving the end. Church, I want us to reach more people. Not so that people remember the name of McDermott Road or remember your name or my name or anybody else's name, but that they might know that Jesus is King. That the Father might be glorified in the Son. I believe that Jesus is still partnering with his people to change the world. 
Jesus changed the Roman world. Jesus is still changing our world. Jesus is still changing Collin County. And I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done. There are people that are desperate, and lost, confused, and discouraged, and they need your friendship. They need your love. They need Jesus to show through you. They need you to do for them what Jesus has done for you. So 414, pray that Jesus does great things in us. Jesus hasn't stopped partnering with his people, so let's not stop asking him to do great things in us. And maybe we can pray specifically for you. I know that it's not just the people out there that are sad and lonely and discouraged and hurting. It's us, isn't it? And we need to take advantage of this family that we have and pray for each other. That Jesus, through his spirit, might comfort and strengthen and help us and bless us. So if we can pray specifically for you, or maybe you're ready this morning to start your journey with Jesus. I'll tell you, there's nothing in the world I'd rather do than get back in my car with you and go up to McDermott Road and baptize you into Christ. If you're ready to do that, let's do that this morning because Jesus is still changing lives. He's still changing my life. He still wants to change your life. He wants to change our community. So let's let him. And if we can help you to do that, come forward now as we stand and sing this song.